childhood cancer is rare, but when it happens, it usually brings up an endless stream of questions for parents. How did this happen? What will life be like for my child? In this episode of Cancer Mythbusters from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, we'll talk about some of the most common questions and myths about childhood cancer with Dr. Allison O'Neill, Clinical Director of the Solid Tumor Program at Dana-Farber Boston Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. The joint partnership between Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Boston Children's Hospital offers more specialists, more treatment options, and more clinical trials than almost any other pediatric center treating cancer and blood disorders in the world. Thanks for being here, Dr. O'Neill. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start off with a big question. What do we know about what causes childhood cancer? That is a big question, and I think it's one we wish we knew more about. Um, In truth, there have been so many longitudinal epidemiologic studies trying to um, arrive at more definitive risks for pediatric cancer. And I think the bottom line is we still don't know enough of what causes the variety of diseases across children in general. I think that studies are ongoing, and I think in some um, cases we do know that there might be genetic risks, for instance. But in the adult population where we know that smoking causes lung cancer or uh, significant exposure to the sun can lead to melanoma, there aren't necessarily the same environmental risks per se that we can link to childhood cancer. So you, you kind of alluded to this, but can cancer be inherited? And what would you have to say to parents who might think it's their fault that their child got diagnosed with cancer? So yes, it certainly can be inherited. Um, We know of a number of genetic syndromes, I should say, or uh, cancer predisposition syndromes, uh, that that is essentially defined by a gene that is abnormal within a family that then is inherited in each generation that may lend to risk for cancer. Now, that risk can vary substantially within generations. It can vary based on the genetic abnormality within families. Um, The same abnormality might be might not be seen in two disparate families and the risks might be very different. So just because a family has a particular gene abnormality doesn't necessarily mean the risk between families is the same. Um, We actually have a a cancer predisposition clinic now at the Jimmy Fund that sees all pediatric patients diagnosed with cancer because cancer is so rare in pediatrics that I think over time we're going to identify that there are more genetic causes than we previously realized. That being said, it's never the fault of the family. Um, We can't control our genetic makeup. Uh, Unfortunately, we can't determine how these genes get passed on. By virtue of having children, genes are passed on. Um, So really, families should never place blame on themselves. Parents should never place blame. And I think the goal of this cancer predisposition clinic in, in particular is to create surveillance programs such that we watch children with more frequency when we know they have a particular risk, such that we can hopefully diagnose cancer at an earlier stage such that it's curable. And so one common question is whether children with cancer pose a health risk to other children. Can you talk about this? Of course. They pose absolutely no risk. But I can imagine that communities might be fearful of that. You know, I think children with cancer probably still carry some stigma. I think it's more a stigma of the unknown. I think a lot of... um, other children in classrooms, if you know, a child shares a classroom with a patient that's been recently diagnosed, or if communities and families kind of share resources, they may not uh, know enough to realize that cancer is not contagious. Um, in reality, 
patients who are diagnosed and families that have a child recently diagnosed need more support than ever before. Um, so I think what we need to do is break that stigma and really bring communities together to support these families. So how is cancer treatment in kids different than cancer treatment in adults? Uh, it's a tough question. I think the diseases are very different. So I think we need to start there. The diseases that affect adults are very different from what we see in children, with a few exceptions. There are some diseases that overlap. The disease is really what dictates the therapy. Um, for many diseases, we still rely upon combination chemotherapy. So more than one chemotherapeutic agent in different combinations delivered in a cyclical fashion. I think our field is gradually moving more and more towards targeted therapies that are dictated um, by the genetic makeup of these tumors, but we haven't yet evolved to a point where we utilize those therapies alone. What I will say is that we're very fortunate that children are able to tolerate therapy much better than adults in many circumstances. They are younger, their organs are quite healthy, they're unbelievably resilient, both I think physically and mentally and emotionally. So I think many families will come into our clinic with expectations or prior experiences that lend fear to how well their child will cope with the diagnosis or the treatment. And I think what we often reassure families is that children do a remarkably excellent job of tolerating their therapies. And yeah, so many parents kind of along those lines wonder if their children can live a quote-unquote normal life after treatment. So can they? That's our absolute goal. So we often um, set patients and families up for the expectation that they should lead as normal a life as possible during their treatment. Um, and we have a number of resources to accommodate them in school and at home, their siblings and their families. Um, but the goal really is for them to lead as normal a life as possible after their treatment. Now, of course, their treatment may come with certain toxicities that are lifelong medical problems. Um, I think as our cancer treatments evolve and they become more targeted, less toxic, and or we're able to deliver less intensive therapy over time, the long-standing consequences of treatment are going to become more tolerable. We have a cancer survivorship clinic at Dana-Farber where all of our patients are followed not just in childhood but well into adulthood, such that they undergo surveillance for any possible risks after having received these drugs. Um, certainly many of our children undergo life-altering surgeries as well, um, for which they may have prostheses or require um, significant physical therapy or occupational therapy. But again, all of these things are put in place early such that these families, that these children can have as normal a life as possible in the aftermath of treatment. And so if a child goes through cancer treatment, can they still have kids someday? That's a very good question. Um, it really depends on the treatment they've received. So we have recently instituted in our pediatric program a fertility um, specialist, a nurse practitioner, Katie Brodigan, who works closely with Dr. Lindsay Frazier, one of our pediatric oncologists, and has really established a um, an information gathering session very early on in treatment and a plan going forward as it pertains to fertility preservation if necessary. So what we review with families is the treatment that they will receive, um, the risks that that treatment might impart on fertility, and then we provide a number of options as it pertains to fertility preservation, um, if the family would like to preserve either sperm or eggs and whether the child's even eligible for any of those procedures. and. Uh, really we try and counsel the family as to the risks of infertility to help them make that decision prior to initiation of therapy. So it really is very treatment specific, um, but having 
put this program in place in the last few years, I think it's really helped families plan for the future after treatment. Kind of a myth that we want to explore here is whether all cancer treatments are toxic. What do you have to say on this? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question, and that's very treatment-specific. So each of the drugs we use come with obligatory side effects. But I can say the same thing for Tylenol. You know, if you read the Tylenol insert, there are 4,000 side effects. You know, I mean, and that's a very benign drug. And so you can imagine the same holds true for each chemotherapeutic agent we use or each targeted agent. But our jobs at the end of the day are to balance the potential side effects with the benefit of cure and the benefit of treatment. And so we're able to really compile treatment regimens that really cause the least amount of harm, um, that are the least toxic if possible, but confer the greatest benefit for efficacy. And in truth, we're getting better and better at predicting toxicities and are protecting patients from them. And as I mentioned previous, our goal previously, our goal is really to uh, cut back on toxic therapies when possible, um, such that we can uh, provide children with, you know, normal lives in the aftermath of treatment. Anything else, any parting words, anything you think a parent of a childhood cancer patient should um, know or keep in mind? That's a good question. I think you brought this up earlier. I think um, patients, uh, parents of pediatric cancer patients always blame themselves in some way. And if I can leave you with one tidbit, do not, you know, to these parents, don't blame yourselves. You did nothing to cause this, even in the context of a genetically inherited um, abnormality. It, it's not your fault. And I think parents often wonder whether they can be doing more. And I can tell you that you're doing everything you can and you're doing your very best and that's what your child needs. So I think if, if you know, that's my part, those are my parting words in truth that um, this, is, this is difficult to go through. But the vast majority of patients and families do an unbelievable job in supporting their child. Great. Well, thanks for sharing all of this information and for being here today. Thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out more of our content by searching for Understanding Cancer on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. To learn more about us, visit DanaFarber.org. Farber.org.